And so for me, when I think about wanting to like I happiness, I think is my purpose. Right. And some people will look at that as like, that seems really like selfish. <laughs> However, I think happiness is everyone's purpose. Yeah. And it's like, it, I don't think it's selfish because it's like, this is what God created me for. Like I feel best and I feel like I can give my most to the world when I'm moving in joy. And when I discover who I truly am, I can't help but mm. be joyful because that's who God is. God is like this, like constantly, like constantly delighted in us. And so why can't I be constantly right. delighted in myself? Welcome to Tavern and Y'all, a weekly podcast about the stories we tell while on pilgrimage as queer Catholics. I'm Jacob Flores. Coming on my first year of being a true blue-blooded, red-blooded Catholic. Um, but really having a hard time, difficult time with Lent being very, very, feeling very far away from God. Feeling very far away from the church. From I the church. As yeah, well. yeah, definitely. And I think that I should, I should learn to not equate those two things as yeah, being but we, we often, you know, feel like we contact God through the church yeah. so often. So it's a, it's an understandable thing. Yeah. I think I, I feel uh, desolate and disconnected from the community, which mm. is the church. So. Who are you? And I'm his husband, Patrick Flores, one of the 50,000 ex-seminarians to now call themselves gay openly <laughs> and in the church. <laughs> it is a, we did a gay census. agenda. We did a census. There's 50,000 of us. <laughs> wow, that's a entire town. If they if they haven't come knocking on your door, the census takers will soon, and at least half of the gay bar will probably identify as an ex-seminarian. Half of the gay bar? Okay, well, bars don't exist in <laughs> 2020 now, so I don't know if that reference makes sense to any of you all, but there used to be a thing called gay bars. bars. <laughs> all right, Jacob, I have a question for you. Yes, sir. Have you ever had a missionary show up at your door or approach you on the street? Does it matter uh, religion? Not at all. Um, yes, multiple times. Please tell me. Which religion do you want? <laughs> Let's play religion pick a, roulette. Pick a card, any card. <laughs> uh, let's start with some kind of maybe like evangelical Protestant or something. Have you ever had one of those? Um, I don't. Okay, so I don't know if you would consider them a missionary. Maybe they are a missionary in their eyes. Um, I, I was working. I, I used to work at P.F. Chang's for like two months back in the day. Did you really? Wait, I don't know this. Back in college, um, when I was a starving art school student. Fair. <laughs> um, so was getting off work. It was raining downtown Seattle. I crossed the street. Uh, uh, at Fourth and Pine and Cross, right outside of Macy's, right, and there was a gentleman standing on a little step ladder, holding up a sign that said, "Basically, Doomsday Fags will go to hell." Oh, whoa, okay. Um, masturbation, blah blah blah. Um, I slipped because it was raining and wet. Yeah, I, I, boy, if you, if you think of like those funny, goofy clips of people just like. Biting it. The ones where there's usually like a sound effect in the back, like zoink. Yeah, that. Yeah. That was me falling Yeah, on my back. Anyways, the guy stops screaming into his, his little loudspeaker, yeah. his foghorn, <laughs> and tells me I'm going to hell. And that's that was like, I wow. fell because of while, some sort while of While you're sin, down. While I'm down. So maybe that was his mission to tell me that I was going to hell. That's really intense and really gross. Do they consider that 
being a missionary? I bet he would. Okay. I was more thinking of the type that like come knocking on the door. So okay, where's this going? I'm I'm I'm. You've piqued my interest. <laughs> well, I have to say I did have uh, a, a unique missionary experience where somebody came to my parents' house. I think I was home from college at the time, and I was in the garage working on a kneeler that I was uh, building. <laughs> oh now, God. not like not like the big Pradu, like like a little one. So like I had visited- Like this... an individual one? <laughs> okay, well, yes. But smaller than, picture something that's like six inches tall and a foot wide. Like that's, that's all we're talking about. Like I had visited this monastic community that mm. often when they pray, they basically like sit back on their feet, but obviously that gets- very exhausting yeah. for your ankles and stuff. And so they had these like little kind of like kneelers slash seats. And I was like, this is the coolest way mm-hmm. to pray. And I want to, I came home and I wanted to make one for myself. And How so I was you? probably like 20, 21 at the okay. time. Don't hold my youthful enthusiasm against me. <laughs> I feel the judgment. I'm not. And so I was in the garage trying to figure out how to make one when some Mormon missionaries approached mm-hmm. and they wanted to, do their normal thing but they were just like they were trying to like find the common ground by like first just asking like what are you doing yeah and so i explained what i was making and that like because it was like a god thing they got really excited about Mm -hmm. it and they like stopped and like helped me make the 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 kneeler and like mormons are they're angels so sweet i know i i honestly like i love I part of me wanted like just go away, just let me have my yeah. introverted moment out in the garage. But also, it was like really nice, and yeah. they they were very helpful having an extra pair of hands. Mm-hmm. And then they extra what extra three set of hands? Well, yeah, two. And they they you know then they wanted to talk about the Book of Mormon, mm-hmm. and I was like, gotta go for dinner. Bye. <sighs> Which was true. I did have dinner. <laughs> what do you think you would do if a missionary approached our door like tonight? What would I do? Yeah, like if they if someone went knocked and you're like, "Oh, who's that?" and they were like, "Hey, we want to talk to you." In this moment, about I would the gospel. I in this moment, I would invite them in and have a conversation. Yeah, like welcome welcome to our gay house. Come on in and Yeah, I mean, have a gay cup of seltzer with us. We're having coffee right now and it's like 9 o'clock p.m. You ain't going to bed anytime soon <laughs> anyway, night owl. Calm down. No, I <laughs> That's very true. I I would invite them in and have a conversation. Yeah. I I would maybe I would do reverse evangelization on them. Oh, you want a convert. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Winning souls for the Lord, for the church. <laughs> Papa Francesco. Also, Why, what would you do? Is it responsible to invite them in right now? I don't know. I, I don't know. I would. I would. <sighs> I know. Right now being, we're self-quarantining. Yeah. I do know that a large part of me would be very annoyed. For Like, I'm thinking of like, I just want to like put on a show this evening. But there's also a part of me that is like, yeah, have a conversation. Yeah. Like, what's the worst thing that could happen? And it's a good conversation. I'm sure it's better. You're not going to be fighting. Like, you'll just talk. Yeah. So I feel very uh, isolated. So I would welcome the mm. conversation. Yeah. Cool. Well, today on the podcast, we have a story by Kevin Garcia. Um, mm. It's hard to think of anybody out there who I think has had as big of an impact for queer Christians, especially online, mm-hmm. as as Kevin. So we're really excited to have. Kevin on and Kevin told a story about his time as a missionary abroad and it was a really exciting story there were miracles yeah so this is story by Kevin Garcia 
I'm going to tell a story from back in the day when I was a missionary um, <laughs> and um, how I was, I got really, really sick. And this is, so this for me is one of the stories I feel a little weird about telling sometime because um, I'm not Catholic, just for the record. I grew up care and like non-denominational and fell into Pentecostalism. So the idea of like spontaneous healings and, uh, you know, speaking in tongues is a little weird for some people, which I totally get because yeah, it's sure. totally weird. Um, <laughs> but this story, like, it, it's one of those stories that are like, I just don't know how, I can't un-experience it. Mm. And it really happened. Right. And so that's where we're going to go. I love it. So I'm living in India at the time. It's very hot and there is not a lot of access for me and my team to do much of anything besides like go out in the evening to the villages, preach the gospel, you know, do the whole white savior thing because lols, that's what we were doing. Right. But I got really, we would go around to all of these villages and we would pray for people. Um, and I'm a laying on of hands kind of girl because that's the tradition I came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, I ended up catching this thing called chikungunya. Chikungunya is... Um, kind of like the flu mixed with the chicken pox on crack. Okay. Like it's like, it's no joke. It can really, it's one of those things where like, if, um, if an elderly person caught it, it could be really serious, but for younger people, it's not as serious, you know? Um, but for me, it felt like I got hit by a truck and I, all my joints were inflamed. It was really hard for me to just walk around or eat food or anything. And so my, you know, our host family calls the doctor to come in because that's what, you know, doctors are do house calls in India. Apparently. Okay. Right. 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 And, um, <clears throat> the guy comes in, um, you know, uh, we have our translator there. So I'm translating, you know, English and he says like, I have to give you an injection. And I'm like, this doesn't feel safe. We're, yeah, in the th- we're like, we're in a, a rural part of India. Did you feel like he understood what the illness was that you had at that time? Yeah, I think, I mean, I described all my symptoms and he says, yes, this sounds like chikungunya. And so he wanted to give me um, a shot. I don't actually know what the shot was, if I'm being honest. I just said, as long as there's no penicillin in this, because penicillin will kill me. He's Uh, like, no, no penicillin. Great. Um, And so like, you know, I pull up my arm and I'm like, I'm ready to like, you know, inject it into the arm. And he says, no, I have to give you this shot in your backside. Oh, okay. (laughs) And... I was not pleased with that revelation. <laughs> I was like, this can't, you can't be serious right now. And like, I'm very, very sick. I'm not like, I'm not my good Christian self at the moment. I'm very just like, everything is terrible. So, um, you know, at that point I was like, well, I need the medicine. So whatever. And so I assume the position. And by that, I mean, like I turned around and like pulled down my shorts to expose my backside to right. this doctor and my whole team is in the room watching this happen oh no and laughing at me as i get a needle put into my butt and then he put the medicine in and i thought we were done after where that. is like, that all right good we Christian did that modesty. we're done it was funny oh my god you know no like none forget about it like <laughs> it's like all all bets are off here and so um that wasn't even the worst part though the, the worst part about that experience was um, after you give an injection to someone, they recommend that you're supposed to massage the injection area for between 30 and 60 seconds to um, avoid bruising. Okay, okay. Most American doctors don't do that. 
And um, this Indian doctor who uh, wanted to make sure he was thoroughly taking care of his patient massaged my backside for Stop. around 45 seconds and was <laughs> insistent that I did not move until he was finished. And I was just sitting there. I'm like, I do. I deserve this. Did I do like what? What did I do? What did I do to deserve this? I was so mad. And that's not where the story ends, though. That was just like the the weird, funny beginning part. Right. Okay. <laughs> so I eventually like, you know, recover. But like I develop uh, reactive arthritis in my feet. And reactive arthritis is basically um, chikungunya produces all these different kinds of proteins in the blood. And they can sometimes build up in certain areas. And so what happened for me is those um, extra proteins like built up in my feet around my Achilles tendon and in my knees. Ooh. And it made walking incredibly painful for me um, to the point where like I was taking so many pain pills during the day and then I eventually ran out and I didn't have any money because I was a missionary. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and, and that must have been scary, too. Yeah, a little bit. Now, granted, by the point, like by the time we I had like that had really like come into full swing, we were in the next country in Nepal. Oh, wow. Okay. And we were in the mountains like we were like literally like backwoods eight miles into the jungle uh no running water or electricity it's that kind of like really really delightful outdoor experience right. and i do like that but i don't like it when i can't walk no not you know, even a little bit problem so fast forward um i'm with my team we're back in civilization uh and i am thinking i'm like okay this is gonna go away in three months and i just have to learn how to learn live with chronic pain for a while until this resolves right, itself right, right. But I'm also thinking, like, I have to be on the mission field. I got to be um, doing it for God or whatnot. And my team leader said, I got an email from our squad coach. Um, and they were kind of like the spiritual parents of the squad who were supposed to check in on us and make sure we're doing okay. Okay. They did, you know, they had a, at the end of the day, they were evangelicals. And so, like, there's a limitation to what they can actually do. Right. <laughs> okay. Sure. Uh, so apparently, Apparently, she had a dream that my team prayed for me, washed my feet, and I was healed. And of course, I'm like, of course, like the, the the thing was is like on the mission field, we were just like, you should expect miracles. You got to believe for miracles. And like, as much as I am like a mystic woo woo person, and like I'm totally down for the spirit to do anything she wants. I'm also an empiricist, and it's like, fair, what yeah. do you like? That doesn't happen. That doesn't really happen. But I kid you not, um, we got a dish pit, a little dish tub, like you would put some dishes in, in a restaurant, <laughs> filled it with cold water and dish soap. And I put my feet in it and they laid hands on me and prayed for me. And I'm sitting there thinking like, like there's, there's no like fire, Holy Ghost, electricity moments. There's nothing miraculous happening in my person. I don't even feel anything in my feet besides cold water. It's like cold water and soapy. And I'm like, eh, I want this to be done. Like, hey, could we just... Pause for a quick second. Yes. This this feet washing, they wanted to do it a, a literal feet washing, like with soap, not just like a symbolic washing with not water. literal feet washing. Because like, I, love I will that. say also like my delightful team leader, um, you know, he's from like the, a very rural part of the South and his understanding um, of so okay. much was like, I had been somebody who had like been reading like, you know, you know, the, the institutes of Christianity since I was like 16. So like I had way too much going on in my brain. Yeah. 
And so for him, we, feet washing was just like, you know, screw those essential oils and perfumes. I'm getting Dawn. We're going to wash your sins away. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> There's something very beautiful to that, and I love it. Yeah. <laughs> so they washed my feet, and they prayed for me. And I'm just thinking, you know what, God, Jesus, if you're going to do something, like, it would be helpful. But I'm also like, do it if you're going to do it. That's just, that was my attitude. And then took my feet out of the water, right. dried my feet off, and then I stood up, and I was like... My feet don't have any pain in them right now. Hold on a second. So I sat down and I stood back up and I kept doing that because I was trying to sit. I was like, this was a painful thing to do five minutes ago. And then I went and walked up and down the stairs because I recognized like my Achilles tendon was super duper tight and it was always hard for me to walk up and down stairs. Because I just, it hurt. And I just, I like basically ran up and down the stairs because like it was gone. All of the pain was gone. And then I started crying and I'm like, that happened. I think, I think I was just healed miraculously. And I was like, right. What? It just like, it was, it was a mind blowing moment because it's like, (laughs) I say that I believe in a risen Christ or whatnot. And you know, if Jesus said that we could do greater things, like, yeah. why why should I be surprised by something like that? So that's, like, one of those things from my past where, like, I don't know how to, you know, post-deconstruction Christian, you know, I want to put everything into, like, a neat box and, like, explain it away. But, like, there are certain things from my past, these really powerful mystical healing experiences i don't know what to do with them and so i've just decided to accept them as gifts and say that might have been a that that was a miracle and that's pretty neat absolutely and what was the reaction of everybody else that was was there with you it was crying the same thing it was like ah that's weird it it was it was one of those things where it's like we were both like yeah very grateful and this is also like it makes perfect sense to me now like on the other side of it, it's like oh of course we asked and sometimes if you ask you get it you get a yes (laughs) and then but then there's this whole thing of like I'm wondering, like, okay, well, like, I had reactive arthritis, which was a non-life-threatening thing, and then I've got my friends who have cancer, stage five, and they're dying, and there seems to be no hope. And I'm like, right? What was the difference? Was there a difference? Why does? And it's not like they're not asking. Yeah, and it goes it goes around to these things where it's like, <sighs> I don't want to say that these people don't have faith because that's bullshit. Of course they do. So it's right. it's a it's a it, it comes with a lot of really interesting questions with it around like theodicy. How does God interact with the world? Why do healings, quote unquote, healings happen for some people and not others? So it really makes me question. I'm like, why was I res- a recipient of that gift? And then, then I also at the same time, it's like, it is not my job to ask why. It is my my job to proclaim what happened. Yeah. If I want to yeah. get biblical on it. <laughs> <laughs> do you feel like a an experience like that? has helped you stay somewhat, I don't want to use the word grounded, but attached to mm-hmm. a sense of spirituality that d- despite all the the 
experiences that were probably to come after that, even and during that of 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 maybe feeling like a bit of an outsider, an outcast within Christianity in general, there was still you had something that that tied you to um, uh, just a, a sense of, of spirituality and 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 wonder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that experience was exactly that. It was a a moment of wonder and uh being unable to explain something it's Mm. like this is this is the thing that like you know all the best science in the universe always bumps up against a thing where they say well we just don't know right we don't know what's beyond the black hole we don't know what's beyond deep space and then there are these moments like even like outside of christianity where people have said yeah i was miraculously healed by xyz or like you know my mother's actually had healing experiences herself Mm. like it's so for me yeah there is this thing of i never want to be um i want to be forever grateful for the things like the gifts of the spirit and the things that happen like that um and in some ways it's like we can i was like i don't want to be surprised i just i do want to be in wonder like you said Mm, right but like surprise would dictate or would probably suggest that i don't expect good things to happen or that I don't expect that God has my best interest at heart. Yeah, yeah. So I'm never really surprised by the goodness. It's always like I'm delighted. Mm. That's my feeling. It's like, oh my God, how nice. And and I feel like that's a sense of of just uh, a spirituality and a world vision that I feel like I I still sense from you. Like that's something that I mm. I, I don't know if it was um uh kind of captured in that that moment started in that moment, but it has. I've I've always gotten a sense mm. of of your spirituality as being uh, very much one of a, a joyful wonder and mm-hmm. amazement at just how much is 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 out there in the in the in the world. Yeah, there is. Um, I like to think of it so much like, you know, if God is a holy parent, right, and we are the children of God, I like to think of all of these moments. They just kind of add, it's, it's like, you know how it's, think of it like you are like wanting, like you're a child, right? And you want to like really impress like right. God, you know, right. parent or whatever. And we're over here like, yeah, dad or mom or whoever, like, I'm going to watch this really deep documentary with you. And really, we just want to watch cartoons. Yeah, yeah. And God is delighted to watch the cartoons mm-hmm. with us. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. It's like. We're trying like the like who God is on the cosmic infinite level. God has like thank God for like spiritual teachers and mentors and sages because like they take all of this like ginormity and like boil it down to the simple of like and there's God right yeah. there. So it, it is it is that sense of my my spirituality has returned to the sense of play in right. some ways of like wanting to have this faith that. Yes, like there's so much I don't understand. Um, yes, I don't know. I don't always know what I'm supposed to do in the long term, but my spirituality gives me a sense of the next right thing. And rather than thinking, there's like the phrase, anything could happen. And some people would say, oh, gross, anything could happen. And I'm very scared. Or, But I'm on the other side. I'm like, oh, my God, you guys, anything could happen. Yeah. I'm just like, I'm, I'm ready for a possibility. I'm ready for the possibility of a miracle over having faith in the disaster that we live mm. in. Are you able to take that sense of of 
wonder and and play and anything could happen and take it not mm-hmm. only just at that level of like wow like even even miracles can happen but also bring it down to the level mm-hmm. of just like small everyday interactions and experiences and what is that like yeah so i am a big believer in what does that even mean i'm a big bu- i'm a big believer <laughs> <laughs> um let me rephrase that one of my spiritual practices uh i work with a text called a course in miracles which is a metaphysical text that was written uh or uh dictated and transcribed in the 1980s and what the course in miracles would say is that the miracle is really our the ability to change our minds about anything mm. and okay. um so in that work of finding joy in the moment and in the ordinary is this idea that just like at any moment I can choose again at any, so like if I'm feeling, so this is what the course would say. And this is, I think it lines up perfectly with the words of Christ is that like in, in God, we have our perfect peace, right? Like if we find ourselves in the presence of the Holy, like fear is driven out, uh, darkness is driven away. Clarity comes through and it's in all the moments when we are fearful and afraid or anxious about something, when we have trouble hearing the voice of God or hearing the voice of ourself. And so what the course does a really good job of doing is actually giving you a pathway to undo the fearful thoughts that you have about everything, about who you are, about your stake and like who God thinks you are. Um, Because it keeps coming back to this premise of just like, you are love and you are loved and you are God's child. And it really doesn't matter what you think about that. It's just, do, do you want to accept that? Like if you can learn to accept that you are one with love, that you are, you always have access to all wisdom and all truth. If you always have access to God, like if you knew that for a fact, like how much better would your life be if you just knew in your bones that God was actually, actually liked you and that God loved you and God wanted to move with you. And like God is interested in you and the things you're doing that to me, like that, that subtle mind shift of, you know, it's, it's faith in, in love. It's faith in this sense that like God really does have me. It's not just something I pray for on a Sunday morning, but like, I don't know how to tell people this sounds so weird. I'm just like, I really do believe in God. Like people think that like, and that to me is a wild claim. It's just like, I really believe that there's something or somebody or not something. And just like, I believe that God wanted me to be here. Right. And if God wanted me to be here, then I might as well have fun while I'm doing it. Um, <laughs> yeah. And that's the other part of it is that we think that in order to access God, we have to go through suffering or we have to go through all these trials or it has to be hard. And suffering is not a, um, a, a, a passageway to God. Suffering is merely inevitable, inevitable. Suffering is like the, right. we live in right, a world right, right. where people who are all fearful and who are all, you know, running around trying to work for their own salvation. And what I mean by that is like, they're trying to, they think they're going to find God if they do all the right things and that God's going to be happy with them. And it's like, no, 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 no. Like you scale it back a little bit. And so from, (laughs) so the reason I think I find so much joy in everything is because I believe that God is finding joy as well. Like God gets to experience the world through me and through you. Then this is a very process theology we're getting into now. And so for me, when I think about wanting to, like, I happiness 
I think is my purpose. Right. And some people will look at that as like, that seems really like selfish. <laughs> However, I think happiness is everyone's purpose. Yeah. And it's like, it, I don't think it's selfish because it's like, this is what God created me for. Like I feel best and I feel like I can give my most to the world when I'm moving in joy. And when I discover who I truly am, I can't help but mm. be joyful because that's who God is. God is like this, like constantly, like constantly delighted in us. And so why can't I be right. constantly delighted in myself? Um, I don't, it's like the ego would say like, you know, it, it's not egotistical to say that God loves me. It's not egotistical to say that I am one with the divine because the divine is in all. It's it's egotistical not to say that, to deny that God is in me. Would, would we just say like, oh yeah, God didn't create this. Exactly. I did this. And say, no. It's a, it's a way of like really, it takes off all of this pressure mm-hmm. from having to perform a religious uh, pr- practice or path to asking like what works, what makes me feel good and what, and not just what makes me feel good, but also like that's the other part of the transformation is like my happiness is no longer just found in the fact that I can feel good, but the, I know that the only way to keep this is to help other people discover it. And so that would be the gospel, right? And so the gospel is a powerful message because the course would say that anytime a, a, an idea is shared, it grows stronger, not only in the people who hear it, but in the mind of the teacher of God who's sending it out. So for me, teaching or preaching about like pursuing joy and happiness and talking about practices to undo your guilt that you put on yourself to undo the shame around your desire and to undo all of these expectations that the world puts on us to say, you're not measuring up to throw all that off and to just truly be in freedom and at peace with God is to enter heaven. Yeah. And who would want to leave that? You mentioned letting go of your preconceived notions of how God views you. And I want to Mm -hmm. touch on that because one thing I was thinking about as as you were going through learning to be more open to to wonder and even the miraculous is mm-hmm. that for a lot of queer folks, the church has mm-hmm. used um, the possibility of, of of miracles and big changes against mm-hmm. us to to say the problem is right. you're not trying, you're not believing that you can change. And I feel like you're right. like a fantastic defender of the dignity of, of of queer people as just like who we are not needing to 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 change so mm-hmm. could you just speak for a minute on on how you've learned to be open to miracles and and these incredible unexplainable things while also saying mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that that queer people themselves are the things that need to change yeah, yeah that's the that's such a good question and I also recognize in hindsight how that story could also feel very triggering for people. So if you were triggered, my bad, I didn't mean it that way. Um, and it's because I'm on the other side of, I've worked really hard. I'm not going to lie. I've been in therapy for two and a half years. I take medication. So it's okay if you're still triggered by that language. Right. Like don't feel bad about that. Um, never feel bad for your triggers. Just recognize them. Mm. That's a word for another time. Um, so, I, again, I run in the care. I used to run in the charismatic circles. I was trying to pray the gay away for a long time. I was expecting a miracle on the mission field in the form of a wife. 
I was I was so hoping that, you know, I would find God's match for me on the field and that just we would just become, you know, this missionary superstar. We So it was an 11-month mission trip. And so the joke was like, oof, month 12, month 12, can't get here fast enough. People were so <laughs> fucking horny. Sorry, yeah. I cut that out. You, you can cut that out if you need to. Oh, no, no, no. We swear on the podcast. It's okay. Hell yeah. Thank God. I wasn't sure because... Uh, I should have said that in the, in the beginning. I'm sorry. <laughs> yes. Um, not that I felt restricted at all. But I was expecting miracles. And I thought that I defined a miracle by... I mean, it's actually... I didn't really define the miracle. They defined the miracle. They said, like, this is what it's going to look like. Wow. This is what holiness looks like. This is what... You know, this is what it looks like to be a Christian in the world. And it's based off of these six verses. And this is how we interpret it. And so for me, being open to the possibility of miracles is I'm not so much saying like miracles can be like these ginormous manifestations of holiness or the divine healing, whatever. Like it can be anything. Some people, people, some people also say that, you know, birth is a miracle. Sure. And I think that's true. Yeah. How the hell does an embryo just know to grow into a human? Right. right. That's a miracle. Yeah. Oh, see, that's where I see this. Where, this is where I get started. Is like, go, go, go. I look at every single moment, like my breath, the fact that my lungs can turn this invisible substance in the air into something that allows my body to function. Mm. What? The fact that uh, that plant, that tree outside that has green leaves on it is taking the sun and turning it into energy for itself. It's taking light. What do you mean? Right. What do you mean right. it just takes light and it turns it into <laughs> nutrients? That doesn't make any sense. But it's like, that's a miracle. Or like the fact that like I can talk with my mother openly about my boyfriends or who I'm dating. I don't have multiple boyfriends right now, but like when I'm dating... <laughs> I mean, I would like to have multiple boyfriends. So if you're out there, <laughs> that sort of thing, hit me up. I'm on Instagram. My DMs are open. Um, I'm so lonely. Um, <laughs> but the miracle, and I think this is where A Course in Miracles has really shifted my mindset, is that, uh, I don't know how, it's like, miracle. Uh, of course, the Course would define miracles as naturally occurring moments as extensions of love. That's hmm. just how it would define it. So for me, a miracle is like, I have been able to forget, change my mind about my father and set my free, set myself free from my past. Like my dad died uh, about two years ago and he, he was an asshole <laughs> just of being real. He was a jerk and we did not have a good relationship and we didn't talk for three years and then he died. Wow. wow. And so for me in the aftermath of that, I was like, okay, how do I work on forgiveness with someone who doesn't have a body anymore? Someone who can't say physically, I'm sorry. Right. And so for me, the work, the miracle on that is like, I finally realized that like me holding on to the pain of my relationship with my deceased dad wasn't going to bring me any closer to feeling peace about what happened because like what happened wasn't peaceful. Mm -hmm. Like my dad, my dad did a lot of really not good things, you know, both relationally and within our family. Uh, and I recognized that he had a really hard childhood he got kicked out when he was 16, joined the military when he was 18, was in special forces for 29 years, and the military stripped him of his Mexican identity. Yeah. Of course he acted the way he did. Right. And, you know, if I that when I that doesn't excuse any of his shitty behavior, but it does give me some context to say, "Oh wow. You really couldn't do any better than you could." Right. Did you? Yeah. And that for me has changed my perspective and allowed me to say, "You know what? You would have done better if you could have." And mm. I miss you. And I can just leave it at that.
Right. And that to me, like, you know, years ago, I would have said, fuck my dad. I don't want to talk to him ever. Talk about him. And now, like, I talk about him and I'm not crying. That's a miracle. Right. And so specifically within this question is, like, I have the question of, like, well, who decides? Right. That really, it comes down to, like, the authority of, like, who is getting to interpret these scriptures and who is here to dictate what healing looks like. And I often remind people that there technically is not any sort of tradition concerning uh, gay people or queer people or same-sex partners or actual transgender people as we understand transgender identity today. Right. Yep. Because it didn't exist as a construct in biblical times or in the minds of any of the councils leading up to it. So it's like, we A, we are setting, we are choosing to set a new tradition for ourselves, And that comes with taking some authority back from the institutions that have harmed us and said that salvation only looks one way. Not And not just uh, a new tradition, but a tradition, like a yes, starting of the, an actual understanding. Yes. We're at the very beginning of understanding this. And, and it's hard because you come up against a system that's been around for 2000 years. Of course, it doesn't want to work with you because yeah. you're different yeah. and your difference causes them to have to examine things about themselves. What I think is beautiful is that like the more people I've recognized who get to know me, it's like, it's like, oh yeah, you're totally normal. Like you're like one of us. I'm just like, duh, it's been this way the whole time. Right. Like we're really fucking normal. (laughs) Like that's the thing. If you would just realize like queerness is like, it's not gross. Like, I mean, it's gross because love is gross, but like, (laughs) um, but I always ask the people like who are just like, oh, you know, we hear these ex-gay testimonies and like this person was delivered from homosexuality TM. And here's my response to that always is I'm never going to like go up to someone and say that didn't happen for you. God didn't heal you or take away your desires or bring forth some desires that weren't there before. I'm not there to tell you that right? because I've got my own theories around sexual fluidity and, uh, you know, all that good stuff. Yeah, And then... The other part that I want to hone in on is like their story is just one story of many. And like, I'm again, I'm an empiricist, right? I'm a mystic and an empiricist. Yeah. So if I'm looking just purely at data, there are far more XX gay stories. There are far more stories of people who have been harmed by X gay theology than not. Yeah. We have, we know too many people who have killed themselves um, because of X gay theology. That's a fact. And those of us who did have ex-gay testimonies and who are now on the other side of it, we recognize like the reasons like we stayed there was based in fear and not in love. Ooh, yeah. um, because the thing that people are always threatening us with is just like, don't be gay, otherwise you're going to go to hell. And that is not an invitation into love that is making a decision under duress. And I think that's something we have to make sure if, if fear is a motivating factor in you following any faith tradition it's data to respond to. Yeah. And so the second thing is, is that like, again, it's recognizing what is normative versus what is normal. Um, normative is ex gay stories, right? They're trying to make that the de facto story within the Christian tradition of like, you get healed by it from homosexuality and that's how it works. Yeah. But we just know that like, that just produces depression and anxiety and lo- lies. Yeah. I had to lie to my last girlfriend. Like, I don't want to, like, I'm pretty sure the Bible says it's the Ten Commandments. That's old school. Don't lie. Yeah. Like, and so that's like the part of it that it just really kills me. It's like going back and saying the system that is trying to say that healing is possible. Sure. It's possible. Anything is possible. Right. But just because God can do 
anything, does that mean God will do everything? And do you think that you, you know, Mr. You know, cishet Baptist preacher man, do you think that you understand God completely? Because if you do, then that means you are claiming to be God. And so if you are unable, like, I don't want to have conversations with people who are dedicated to misunderstanding me. Hmm. And when people use that, I'm just like, no, that's, I would just like literally say, it's like, that's not how it works. Yeah. And I would just like use like my own life. It's just like, I thought I was healed for a while myself. And just like, it wasn't that I was healed. It was that I was just really trying to repress a lot of things. So, you know, it's, uh, if someone wants to say like, well, you're just not believing enough. I'm just like, no, I think I am believing enough. I think you're not believing enough because you're saying that Jesus couldn't be my friend. Yeah. You're telling me that God couldn't be a part of my experience as a queer person. So really, who is limiting God here? Not me. I believe God can do anything. I'm surprised as anybody that God wants to work through me. I'm like the Cornelius of this bitch. I'm just <laughs> over here experiencing the Holy Spirit and doing this thing. And they're just like, have y'all been baptized yet? And they're like, what's that? You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Jesus is just showing up where he shouldn't. He always been doing that. And that's what's so delightful. It's just like, I met Jesus when I was nine years old. Jesus knew I was gay back then. So like. <laughs> what do you, what do you hope folks who struggle with a, a kind of a more, um, uh, spiritual, uh, uh, miraculous, mm-hmm. wonderful spirituality. Um, what do you hope they get out of your, your story? Mm. I remarked, well, I, someone asked me one time, it's just like, why believe in something terrible when you could believe in something wonderful? <laughs> and I'm like, well, that seems very appealing. And it seemed like, that's the thing is that for so many people, people hear miracle and they are in miraculous or they think of like, because because this is the other the other side of my spirituality is that I don't ignore suffering and I don't want right. to ignore my suffering. Um, in fact, I think that the way of Christ really plunges us headlong into what does it mean to suffer and also what does it mean to trust God at the same time. You know. And then there's all these other different doubts and questions. And it's just coming for me is I return to this feeling of like, if I feel like I'm not being taken care of, that's not on God. Because God is always taking care of me. And my perception to love's presence is the thing. Like love is always there. The miracle is always present. It is my perception that is impaired or my ability to um, recognize love's presence in everything and in every moment and in every one. And for me, coming to this place of joyful realization of God's presence in everything and every one is a practice for me. Like I have a daily meditation practice. I have a daily prayer practice. I have a spiritual director. I have a therapist. You know, like... And I don't think like everyone has to go to such lengths to like, it's not a thing to fix. Like there's nothing wrong with you. Right. It's a, it's a matter of changing your mind. It's changing your practice. It's like, 
for people who don't feel that or are skeptical or still feel like very hurt by religious institutions, it's like, yeah, that is real. They don't have the monopoly on God, though. They don't have the monopoly on spirit or miracles or even Jesus, for that matter. Like, that's my biggest thing is like, Jesus is no respecter of persons. Jesus is like, would you like to do the work? And you say yes. And he's like, dope. I'll send my holy, you know, I'll send my guy. Yeah. And yep. Uh, you'll work it out. But that's my thing. If, if when people feel like a disconnection from spirit and a disconnection from spiritual spirituality in general, I believe that it doesn't have to be that way. And I believe that there are practices that we can create for ourselves and invest in ourselves to help us remind us of the presence of love in all things, the presence of God and spirit in every single moment. Because in those moments, when I can remember that I am a part of God and God is pleased with me, I'm much more likely to act within my integrity and I'm much more likely to, I'm more able to see like the whole picture clearly and I can make the next right choice and then I can make the next right choice rather than saying, I don't know what I'm going to do. It's like, well, of course, I don't know what I'm going to do. My plan has failed every single time. So why don't I ask God? Which sounds so stupid, doesn't it? <laughs> and it, but like, I really, honestly, like, I'm, I've, I've, ex, I've changed my mind. Like, I am fully convinced that neither height nor depth nor angels nor demons, powers, principalities, my homosexuality. Nothing in all of creation could keep me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And the question I have for people is like, what would it like for you to actually believe that? Oh my mm. God. <laughs> and that's where I was just like, I do not like this feeling that I have. Yes, I am. I will admit I'm a naturally optimistic person. Uh, I'm a lot like I'm a naturally optimistic person and I'm, you know, as analytical as they come and I'm having a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. That's the thing is like, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. I'm really, really fucking happy for the first time in a long ass time. Yeah. And it's come from this place of suspending what I think God has to be in favor of who God is and suspending who I think I need to be in favor of who I am. Mm. And that to me is one and the same thing. Yeah. Because if you can, if you can know, because like your deepest self is love, right? Mm-hmm. At least in my estimation, yeah. I believe that our deepest self is love. And the Course in Miracles would say, nothing real can be threatened and nothing unreal exists. Therefore, if you can threaten my faith, my faith isn't even real because my mm-hmm. faith can't be threatened. Right, right, right. And right. that kind of assurance, ooh, <laughs> that's power. You take yourself right. back. You take your life back. There's so much you can do with that. Mm. Yeah. Mm. It's been going. <laughs> I don't know if that made any sense, if I'm being honest. Uh, no, I, 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 I felt it. I, it, it. It's helped me. So I have no doubt that for a lot of folks, it will, it will resonate very deeply. Dude. Well, Kevin, I think that there are so many of us that have already been incredibly impacted by your work and your presence online, we owe an incredible debt to you, honestly, for, oh. for being one of the the leading and most effective uh, voices that are out there to oh. really uh, help 
queer people not only just believe in themselves, but also believe that they have a place in the the world and and their mm-hmm. church. And so I'm incredibly uh, grateful for all that you have done and continue to do. You have a book that is is currently out right now called Bad Theology Kills. Can you tell uh, everyone a little bit about that and also where they can find all your other work? Yes. My first book is called Bad Theology Kills. It's uh, The subtitle is Undoing Toxic Theology undoing toxic belief and reclaiming your spiritual authority. And in the book, it spans, like I I tell my story in the book, uh, I give, I use classical theological devices to talk about modern problems that we're having um, across the church. And uh, I also have a fair bit of profanity and anecdote in there. So like, it's, it's, I'm not gonna lie, I had so much fun recording the audiobook. Oh my gosh. Because, which uh, hopefully is going to be out next week. Um, The editing process is cumbersome. Uh, you can yeah. get that at badtheologykills.com. And my work um, as a spiritual director and intuitive soul coach, um, I help people uncover their, um, I try to help un- people uncover like what fears are holding them back. Like what are the blocks to love's presence and how do we get them out of the way? And I've worked with everyone from folks who are coming out while still being in a heterosexual passing marriage I've worked with regular people coming through their coming out processes, people who are working through deconstruction, reconstruction. Uh, I don't know if I believe in Jesus anymore, but I still believe in God stuff. Right. Um, my work is really about helping people reclaim their their spiritual authority and feel that connection to God. So if that's something you're interested in, uh, drop me a line. I'm at thekevingarcia.com. And all my social media is at thekevingarcia. Uh, I think that's everything. Yeah. I, you've got a, a podcast called The Tiny Revolution, oh, yeah. which is amazing. So everyone, make sure yeah. you go subscribe to that. Um, yeah, go back and listen to the first hundred episodes. And then... Yes, they're they're fantastic. You've been doing this for a, a long time and have some incredible people that you've had on. Uh, also, you've got these uh, gatherings that you are um, hmm. uh, putting uh, together. Tell our, our listeners a little bit about those as well. Thank you for like reminding me of all the crap that I need to talk about on well, the internet. Well, you do so much. <laughs> um, I am uh I'm the I guess I'm the director of this thing called the Big Queer Adventure Co. And Big Queer Adventure Co is a organization that exists to create um spaces for queer people to experience deep inner healing, find chosen family and rediscover their wild life, which is like the full mission statement. Okay. Um, and what that looks like practically is we have these gatherings that we're starting to pop up all over the country. The next one is in Austin, Texas Ooh, Austin. on April 10, 11, 12. Okay. Um, tickets are available now. Scholarships are available. And um, if you want something to come to your town, um, hit me up. I love a collaboration. And the only way this happens is because of deep collaboration, which I love. Um, and all that is at bigqueeradventure.co. Awesome. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and inspiring mm-hmm. me today. I really needed it. So I appreciate uh, the, this talk and your time. I'm glad. And hopefully my story wins the competition and I will get the free meal when yes, we get back to the free, free meal back at Tabardin. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. All right. This is so good. You can find Kevin Garcia's information at thekevingarcia.com. And you can support this podcast by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a really long way to help others find our podcast. And a big thank you to all our patrons on Patreon who help make this show possible. That's it for us this week on Tabardin. Thanks for listening, y'all. Hey, do you remember Call Me By Your Name? Yeah, the movie? Yeah. Or the book? 
the movie. Okay. Imagine me on a bike riding away from you. Yes. Later. Later.